One of my favorite parts about Sunday is after the service, I'll hear kids coming down from the children's area, and I can hear them in the hallway, their voice echoing, and they're saying, Pastor Shane, Pastor Shane. And then they come in here and they have their crafts, and then I will get down on a knee and I'll make eye contact with them. And then I'll give them a big hug and I'll pick them up. And you know what? This is a picture of what the Christmas story is all about. God, He knelt down from heaven and He was born in a manger in order to make eye contact with us, in order to communicate to us that I love you and I have a plan for you. And He did life with us, and then he died on the cross, and he conquered death so that he could pick us up, and he could carry us through life, and then eventually he can carry us into heaven. This is the Christmas story, and we read about it in John chapter 1. And over the next three weeks, we're going to be camping out right here in John chapter 1. So let's read the first few verses. In the beginning was the Word, this is Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God. We read that Jesus is God in many places in Scripture, and right here is one of them. Verse 2, He was with God in the beginning. Verse 3, all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is God. Jesus was in the beginning. All things were made through Jesus, and all things were made for Jesus. And then look in verse 14. And the Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What we just read flies in the face of what children are being taught in school today. What we just read flies into the face of thousands of scientists' convictions. Not all scientists, thousands of scientists agree with Scripture. What we just read flies in the face of what we would call the cultural norm or cultural wisdom. We just read that Jesus created all things. All things were created by Him, through Him, and for His glory. Nothing has been made apart from Christ's will and His Word and His power. Not only did He create all things, but He holds all things together by His Word. Jesus is the Creator. Jesus created the sun, the moon, the earth, the canyons. Jesus created you. Jesus created the cosmos, the universe. And he holds all things together. Not evolution. Evolution was not the cause of all things. Chance did not cause all things. And chance is not holding all things together. So in this sermon, I want to give you three reasons why I believe that evolution is the greatest hoax ever imposed upon mankind. You can follow along in your outline that's in the bulletin. First reason is that evolution is not logically sound. Evolution is not logically sound. Listen to the definition of science. Science is the intellectual and practical activity encompassing the systematic study of the structure and behavior of the physical and natural world through, watch this, observation and experiment. When was the last time you've heard of a group of scientists experimenting with something akin to an evolutionary spark to create life? 
It has never happened. Science has never created life. It has never observed a chance set of circumstances igniting life. Evolution is therefore not science because it has never been observed. It has never been experimented. Not only repetitively, it has not been experimented with once. It is simply a belief system. And some skeptics may say, but I believe that science is probably, or evolution is probably more scientifically accurate than the scripture. Nothing could be further from the truth if you've read the Bible. If you've read the Bible, Genesis through Revelation, you will find a scientifically sound document. The fact that science in many places agrees with scripture doesn't give me more confidence in scripture. It does give me more confidence in science. But scripture is scientifically pure. In fact, for centuries, people thought that the earth was the center of the universe. Never in Scripture are we taught that. Just the opposite. In places like Psalm 103, verse 11, or Isaiah chapter 55, verse 9, texts that were written in 700 B.C. and 1,000 B.C. state that as far as the heavens are above the earth, indicating an infinite distance, so great God's infinite love is your love towards us. You know, Albert Einstein's concluded toward the end of his life that his greatest cosmological blunder was his belief that the universe was static, it was constant. In other words, if you see a star, it's fixed. That's just simply where that star is. However, we've since learned, and Einstein even conceded, that the universe is indeed expanding. Did you know that? Not only is the universe expanding, it is miraculously, marvelously expanding faster than the speed of light. This is nothing new to Scripture, though we've just found this out in recent decades. We read in 700 B.C. in the book of Isaiah, the Bible, chapter 51, verse 13, that you, maker, you are the maker, watch this, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. No less than seven times are we told in Scripture that it is God who's the maker. It is God who holds the cosmos together. And it is God, and we read seven times in Scripture, who stretches out the heavens. What is this? An expanding universe. How did authors in 700 B.C. and 1000 B.C. know that the universe is eternal and know that the universe is expanding? Because God was writing through them and God created it. In fact, we read in 700 B.C., although mankind didn't learn that the world was a sphere until 1492, we read in 700 B.C. in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 22 that it's God who sits enthroned above the circle, the sphere of the earth. Did you know that's in there? Isaiah 40, 22, 700 B.C., we read that the earth is a sphere. Herbert Spencer's greatest um, contribution to the scientific community was categorizing all aspects of energy and life, and he put them in five categories, time, force, energy, space, matter. And we have that in the very first sentence of the Bible, in the beginning, time. God, force, created energy, the heavens, space, and the earth, matter. And that's not to speak of the 
the miracle and the awe of the complexity of the human body. David was right when he said in Psalm chapter 139 that you knit me together in my mother's womb. I was intricately formed. And as we are understanding the the complexity of DNA, we realize the intricacies that David was talking about. Evolution is not scientifically sound because it's never been a conducted experiment and therefore it's never been observed. Scripture, on the other hand, is scientifically sound. Again, the fact that science in places lines up with Scripture doesn't bolster my confidence in Scripture, but it does bolster my confidence in science. Leading scientific leaders and even leading evolutionists concur. Evolution is not a science. It's a belief. It's a thought process. Karl Popper, leading philosopher of science, wrote... Evolution is not a fact. Did you guys realize that? It's certainly not a fact, and it's not even science. Evolution doesn't even qualify as a theory or as a hypothesis, this leading evolutionist writes. It is a metaphysical research program, and it is not really testable science. Sir Julian Hudson, a leading evolutionist, said, I suppose the reason why the scientific community leapt at the origin of species, Charles Darwin's book about evolution, it was the fact that the idea of God interfered with our sexual mores. M. Roos of the National Post wrote, evolution is promoted by its practitioners as more than mere science. Evolution is promulgated as an ideology, a secular religion, a full-fledged alternative to Christianity with meaning and morality. I am an ardent evolutionist and an ex-Christian, but I must admit that in this one complaint, and Mr. Gish is but one of many to make it, the literalists are absolutely right. Evolution is a religion. It's not a science. It is a religion. It has never been tested It has never been observed. It is a theory. It is a ridiculous theory at that, and we'll see why. It's a religion, a counterpart to Christianity, an alternative to submitting your life to God. This was true of evolution in the beginning, and it's true of evolution today. Sir Arthur Kent wrote the foreword to the 100th edition of Darwin's book, Origin of Species. Evolution is unproved and unprovable. We believe it only because the alternative is special creation, and that is unthinkable. God told Job in Job chapter 38, 39, and 40, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched out a measuring line across it? And he goes on in this relentless pace to say, where were you when by my wisdom I told the oceans exactly how far they could go and I told the cosmos how far to stretch out? There are three reasons that this theory, not science, but theory of evolution, is illogical and a hoax. One, evolution provides no cause for life. It's a theory on how life came to be, a poor theory at that, but it provides no cause for life. God, on the other hand, in time, force, energy, space, matter, is the cause. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, we have an incredible building here, don't we? Look at these chandeliers. 
and the lights and the balcony and the intricate wood carving and trim. And outside, there's intricate stone carving and brick on top of brick. It's about 55,000 square feet of a beautiful building. Engineers come through and they say they just don't make it like this anymore. If we were in a, a tornado, this is where you would want to be. It's sound, it's well built, it's solid. Did I ever tell you guys the story of how this building came, came to be? How, how it was built? It's incredible. Do you guys remember a handful of years ago, about a decade and a half ago, the tornado that came through Fort Worth and it tore down some buildings? It's the craziest story. So this tornado, it actually made its way down here to Southside. I don't know if you guys realized it. And, and there was a lot of houses in, the, in, in this cyclone. And so all of this wood is just spinning and there's a lot of destruction. And since it came through downtown, there's a lot of random scrap metal in this cyclone. And, and since it destroyed some other houses, there's brick, there's wood, there's metal. And then it crashed through a car lot. So there's all kinds of glass. And this tornado's spinning. And then it stayed here for a second. And then it, it spun on. And prior to that tornado, nothing existed. But when that tornado blew through this building was in its place. That tornado accidentally, randomly created this building with all of the bricks laid, with all of the intricate wood carvings, even with the electrical outlets completely wired so that we could just plug lights in and they would illuminate, even with the, with the bathrooms and the, and, and the toilet system and plumbing and the flushing and all of that was completely functioning and all the pews and then the carpet was laid perfectly and cut and all the wood was, was, was laid exactly as it is in perfect symmetrical fashion. That's how this building came to be. And it was a pure accident. How many of you believe that? And yet I promise you, the theory that human life much less the earth with its perfect tilt at 23 degrees without which all oxygen life would be gone and it's in complete, it's in perfect proximity to the sun and the moon so that we don't burn up or the, 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 the sea overtake all of the continents and life, that the environment being perfect for life. Never mind the beautiful atmosphere and the, and, and the setting sun and the crashing oceans and the majestic mountains, but you and human life are infinitely more complex and miraculous than this building that's not even alive. Evolution is a ridiculous theory because it provides no cause for the origin of life, not to mention your DNA. Before you go to sleep tonight, just Google DNA. Watch some YouTube videos on DNA. They don't even have to be Christian-based videos about DNA. Read up on DNA. Educate yourself on the miracle of the DNA in your body. And tell me there is no God. There is no divine creator. DNA is the blueprint for all human life. Bill Gates, founder of Microsoft, said that in the human body, the DNA coding in one human body, in one cell of a human body, the DNA coding which says what your personality is going to unfold like, whether or not you're going to be right-handed or left-handed or ambidextrous, and the color of your eyes and the color of your hair, and how you're going to age, and, and how you're going to, your, your, your offspring, how they're going to look, the, the genes that you're going to pass on, now, whether or not you're going to have, a, have an affinity towards uh, the, 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 the arts or athleticism, um, 
exactly who you're going to be and your sense of humor and, and your capacities and your innate abilities. All of this is coded in your DNA. And Bill Gates, the founder of Microsoft, said that the blueprint coding, determining how you are going to unfold in your DNA is more complex than any computer program that has ever been created. Your DNA in just one cell is more complex, infinitely more complex than all of the programming and all of the coding that goes into the creation and manufacturing and launching and guiding and support systems to a space shuttle. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And all of this information is packed into these microscopic cells. But if all the DNA in your body was unpacked and joined hands and lined out, it would stretch 10 billion miles from here to Pluto and back. And that's just you. What about you? What about all of that DNA times the 7 billion people in the world? All of your, the DNA in your body has the exact same programming. And it's unlike anybody else's DNA on the rest of the planet. There's your DNA times the 7 billion people's DNA times all living organisms, DNA, fish, and reptiles. And all this just came to be by chance. David said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Evolution provides no cause for life. Secondly, evolution provides no link between species. Not one. We read in the book of Genesis that God said, let there be, and he created everything, and then he said, let you reproduce according to your kind. And so the apple seeds reproduced according to the apple's kinds, the birds according to its kind, the fish according to its kind, the reptiles according to its kind, the humans according to its kind. There are various species, but there is no link between one species and the next. But evolutionists, in their quest not to submit their lives to the one true living God, frantically look for the missing link. And in 1912, they said, I found it. And they found a tooth. And they comprised an entire person around this tooth that was found in Uh, 1912, and they called it the Nebraska man, and they developed an entire species around this Nebraska man, and they said, this is the link, and guess what that tooth turned out to be? An orangutan's tooth. In that same era, I believe it was 1922, they discovered the Piltdown Man, and they discovered a jawbone and a skull fragment, and they built an entire species around it, and it went into textbooks and science books with these pictures of the Piltdown Man's ancestors and his family, and it looked like this entire civilization, and that's what people were taught for four decades until in 1953, it was debunked, and they realized it was an orangutan's remains. And today people say, well, what about Lucy? He found in 1974 in Ethiopia this three and a half foot tree dweller, which is nothing more than a chimpanzee or an ape. There is no missing link, and they will never find the missing link. Why? Because there's no chain. God created man in the likeness of his image. 
Evolution provides no cause for life. Evolution provides no link between species. And evolution provides no purpose for life. Even Stephen Hawking in his book said, even if we could figure out why or how, or they, they think they know the how, they said, then if we could only figure out the why. Well, scriptures tell us the how, and God said, and scripture also tells us the why. And the why is you and I were created to have a relationship with God. We were created to praise the living God. And just as Jesus encountered that woman in Samaria at the Samaritan's well, and he said, you know what, you've had four husbands, and the guy you're living with now is not your husband. Your heart has been on this quest, it's been on this search, and look, your heart's still thirsty, isn't it? It's because you were created for me. You were created to worship me. You were created to have a relationship with me. And your heart will always be thirsty until you fulfill this calling and worship me and abide in me and relate with me. And let me give you my spirit to quench your thirst and forgive your sins and give you eternal life. I don't buy evolution, not for a second. One, because evolution is not logically sound. Even besides DNA, you plant a seed, a tree grows. There's love, there's hate, there's tears, there's joy, there's sadness, there's compassion, there's forgiveness. You look at a baby, just the complexity of its eye and the beauty and innocence of its face and the detail of its hand and its knuckles and its fingernails. That is infinitely more complex than this building. And it is ridiculous to think that a tornado blew through here and created everything as it is. No, there were architects, there were designers, we have a blueprint. And in the same way, God created all things. And he holds them all together by the power of his word. We read in Colossians chapter 1 verse 15, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, that means from the resurrection, for by him all things were created... In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him, watch this, in him all things hold together. You know, the more that we learn about our universe, the more we realize we don't know about our universe. In fact, the more we learn about our universe, we realize that we only know about 5% of our universe. Most of the universe is made up, 95% of the universe is made up of dark energy and dark matter. It's called dark because it means we don't know. We don't understand what it is. The universe is expanding. If it were expanding any faster, everything would spiral out of control. If it were expanding any slower, everything would implode upon itself. It's expanding at just the right rhyme and reason that scientists can't understand, and it's held together and driven by dark energy and dark mass. Do you want to know what the dark energy on dark mass is? It's the word of Christ. In the beginning, God said, and it's Christ who's holding all things together by the power of his word. I believe the dark energy and dark mass in the universe is the power of the word of Christ. Evolution is not logically sound. Secondly, evolution is not morally sound. 
We were created by a holy God and given an internal moral compass, but in man's quest not to submit to God or to God's words, the scientific community leapt upon a theory that we evolved accidentally, and the force behind this evolution was sheer chance. And in the book of Romans, we see that the result of trading the truth of God's creation for the lie is a downward spiral of morality. Chapter 1, verse 20 of Romans, and we read, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made so that they are without excuse. In other words, you can just look around And if you're a thinking person, and a logical person, and an intuitive person, it is extraordinarily obvious that there's a creator behind everything. Look at the oceans, look at the sunset, look at the mountains, look at life, look at love, look at a baby, look at the miracle of life and reproduction. Yet, verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, evolution, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things, verse 24. Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameful acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And it goes on to say, they were given up to a debased mind, and they were given in to unrighteousness, evil, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, gossiping, slander, and hating God, and the list goes on and on. When we deny the existence of God, when we deny that He made us not for ourselves and our own whims and our own desires and our own passions, but He made us to worship Him with our lives and to walk in Him in relation, when we exchange that truth for the lie, we are given over to immorality. In fact, do you realize that one of the motivating factors and the driving forces behind Lenin and Stalin and communism and even Adolf Hitler and Nazism was Darwinism. It was like their eyes were opened to their, um, to their hatefulness and their violence. And they said, we all came from nothing, therefore everybody is just an animal, so I'm going to treat them like an animal, and I'm going to run over all of them. And collectively, those men murdered a million, a hundred million people throughout history. In Mein Kampf, Adolf Hitler wrote, The stronger must rule. It must not unite with the weaker, thus sacrificing its own stature. Only the born weakling can think this cruel, and that is why he is weak and, def- and, a, and, and a defective man. For it is this law, for if this law did not hold, any conceivable evolution of organic living things would be unthinkable. 
always struggle as a means to improve the health and stamina of the species, and thus a cause of its evolution. By any other process, all development and evolution would cease, and the very reverse would take place. But little as nature wishes a mating of weaker with stronger individuals, still less does she want the fusion of a higher with a lower race, since otherwise the whole labor of selective evolution, perhaps through thousands of years, would be set at naught. The prerequisite for improvement of the species lies not in the union of the superior and the inferior, but in the complete victory of the superior over the inferior. The stronger must dominate and not mix with the weaker, and thereby sacrifice its own greatness. Only the born weakling can feel this to be cruel. He is indeed but a weak and limited creature. If this law did not prevail, any higher evolution of all organic life would be unthinkable. Hitler, Stalin, Lenin were all motivated by this idea of a superior species evolving, and Hitler thought that the inferior species holding back the, 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 the evolution of the Nazi race were the Jews, and that's how he motivated an entire nation to kill six million Jews. Evolution is not logically sound. Evolution is not morally sound. There's boys and girls sitting in classrooms in independent school districts hearing that they were created by chance and are nothing more than an evolved animal. It lessens their esteem and it lessens their value and esteem, the value and esteem that they place upon others. No. That little boy and that little girl are fearfully and wonderfully made in the very image of God. And we have a mandate from God to treat all people with respect. There is no superior race or inferior race. In fact, Jesus said, however we treat who the world esteems as the least of these is how we treat God himself and will be judged accordingly. Evolution is not logically sound. Evolution is not morally sound. And thirdly, evolution is not theologically sound. Our text verse that we began with in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. And in verse 14, this God knelt down on that Christmas morning and was born among us. As an historical figure, absolutely. Many secular historians write of Jesus from Nazareth. But not just a historical figure. It's God who visited his creation. And he split time in half, B.C. and A.D. The one who created all things drew near into his creation to say, this is how much I love you. Spit on me, pull the beard out of my face, torture me, drive spikes through my hands and feet, and I'm going to tell you that I love you, and this is why I came, to pay for your sins so you wouldn't have to pay for your sins. We read in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Would you stand with me, please? You were created by God, for God, for a purpose. And whereas evolution is not scientifically sound, it is not something that can be tested, and it is not something that can be observed, our relationship with Christ is. 
Over the years as I've been walking with Christ and I've stood on his promises and I've trusted him and I've sought his face, time and time again, he's proven himself faithful. He's proven himself true. He's proven himself to be an ever-present God who's always near, always forgives, always heals, always restores, always answers prayers, always makes a way. He never fails. He's faithful to his word. I believe evolution is a hoax. But my God has never failed me. He created all things. He created you for him. And your heart will always be thirsty until you say, enough's enough. I'm tired of hurting. I'm tired of an unsatisfied heart. I'm tired of an empty heart. I'm going to seek God. I'm going to surrender my life to Christ. Only then will you experience the rivers of living water quenching your thirst and giving you new and eternal life. Would you bow your heads with me? And maybe you just need to say, God, I want to turn my heart to you. I've been confused. I've, I've been confused about the origin of life, about who made it all, but I believe that you made it all, and I'm going to turn to you. And I believe that you made it all, but not only that, I believe that you came to this earth to pay for my sins. And I'm going to turn to you as the Lord and Savior of my life and the one who forgives my sins and heals my heart. And so call out to Jesus Christ in a bold voice, and we'll pray with you. Jesus, I know that I have sinned. Pray boldly, everybody. Jesus, I know that I've sinned. Forgive me. Come into my life. I trust that you paid for my sins, and you rose from the grave. Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. Now, help me to grow in a relationship with you. And give me the courage to be vocal about my faith. At school and at work. Give me the compassion to love others with the truth of the gospel. And so, if you're prepared for baptism, you can slip out and get ready at that time, and we're going to spend some moments and respond. Uh, feel free to come down here and surrender your life to Christ afresh, uh, to repent of sin. Uh, we encourage you to just respond to the truth that you've heard with worship. What is worship? We were made to worship God. What is worship? Worship is our response to God. When you see a majestic sunset, it's not quite complete until you say, Wow, that's beautiful. When you see a baby, that, that beauty is not quite complete until you, until you respond, until you say, she's so beautiful. And when we see God in all of his power and all of his creative genius who created all things and he created us and he paid for our sins and he gives us eternal life, that experience is not complete until we worship. And we say, wow, or we respond with love and thankfulness. Worship is simply our response. If I gave you $50 and said, go worship with it, what would you do? Would you go buy a few Bibles and, and read one and give one to a friend? Well, that would be worship. If, if you went and you bought some worship CDs and you started listening to them and maybe gave some out, that, that would be worship. 
if you went and you bought a guitar and you started strumming in your prayer closet and worshiping, well, that would be worship. Worship is simply your response to what's been given to you. Worship is simply your response to what's been entrusted to you. And you've been given life. You've been given air in your lungs. You've been given purpose. You've been given this creation. You've been given this miraculous body. You've been given a savior. You've been given eternal life. You've been given newness of life. You've been given a relationship with God. You've been given a second chance. You've been given mercies that are made new every morning. Now, let's respond with worship. So would you bow your heads? Father, we pray that our experience in life would be fulfilled and we wouldn't waste it or squander it, but Lord, we would maximize it and have abundant life because we would respond appropriately to the life that you've given us and the eternal life that you paid for us on the cross. So we will respond with worship in Jesus' name. And let's just take a moment and respond to the truth of the gospel.